0: to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath hey 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 las vegas and all people's listening everywhere i am crystal Heath. this is the Friddle show on 101.1 fm experience liberty radio in las vegas you can also find us on itunes and soundcloud just search the frittle show and it will take you to past episodes if you would like to listen there tomorrow we'll be back uh, not on podcast not a Frittle show it'll be uh, drive time with Frittle it's Friday so we'll be talking about fun things no politics, doing some giveaways it's going to be fantastic alright shall we talk about some headlines some news, some politics some juicy stuff All right, let's do it. First off, Walmart is the latest in a long line of businesses to announce that they are raising their hourly wage in wake of the tax overhaul. Their hourly wage at Walmart is going to increase to eleven dollars an hour, and they are going to give bonuses of up to a thousand dollars to many of their employees. Walmart is crediting the tax overhaul for their ability to do this and says that the, the new taxes tax plan allow them to be more competitive in a tightening labor market. The increase in pay across the board for Walmart employees is going to take effect next month. It's going to cost Walmart 300 million dollars on top of the wage hikes that would have already been happening. The bonuses will cost the company an additional 400 million. Oh, and because of the tax uh, the new tax system, Walmart has decided to expand its maternity and paternal leave policy and they're adding an adoption benefit. Chief executive officer Doug McMillan said, quote, "Tax reform gives us the opportunity to be more competitive globally and to accelerate plans for the United States. So Walmart is spending $700 million on its employees simply because of the tax reform plan put in place by the President and the Republican Congress. In fact... According to the Washington Examiner, we are now at over 100 companies that are either raising their their wage and or giving bonuses because of the new tax system. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, we know about companies like AT&T, Uh, It's giving $1,000 bonuses to 200,000 employees. It's increasing its capital expenditures by $1 billion. AccuWeather gave bonuses to all its employees. Aflac increased its 401k uh, match from 50% to 100% uh, on the first 4% of their compensation and some other things. American Airlines gave $1,000 bonuses to every employee, excluding officers for a total of $130 million in bonuses. American Bank issued $1,000 bonuses. Uh, American Savings Bank, Associated Bank, Bank of America issued $1,000 bonuses to 145,000 U.S. employees. Bank of Hawaii, Bank of the Ozarks, Boeing, $100 million in charitable donations, $100 million for workforce development, $100 million for infrastructure and facilities. Central Pacific Bank, All of their employees received $1,000 bonuses, and they're raising their base wage from $12 to $1,525. Citizens Financial Group, $1,000 bonuses. Comcast, $1,000 bonuses to 100,000 employees. And at least $50 billion investing in infrastructure in the next five years. I mean, this list... It just goes on and on and on like I could literally go through here and read you dozens after dozens after dozens of companies and corporations, and these are just the the big ones, like national brands, if you will. This doesn't include small businesses or the effect that the the taxes are having on their pass through income and and how they're able to write off more now and keep more money and hire more people it's It's amazing. Trump is literally making our economy soar. Not just through the tax reform plan, but across the board. Like, before this even went in place. I mean, the Dow is like, oh, by the way, I set another record high. Hey, everybody. As it just keeps climbing. (laughs) I'm not sure... I'm not sure how you get around that. I mean, I... I I don't know how... I don't know how if you're on the left that you are... You must really be struggling. Because on one hand, you've got to be happy. Because you've got more money in the bank and more money in your pocket because of the President and the Republican Congress. But on the other hand, you're not supposed to like tax cuts. You're not supposed to like... Anything that the president or Republican Congress does, but I don't see how you can not like this. I mean, this is America. Everybody, everybody likes more money, especially in America. But we've got to do something, right? We've got to, we've got to tear this down and rip it apart somehow because we can't just have all the news be good news. So, so I pretty much have a theme for today's show, which is, eh, not so much. Because it's just been like, oh, well, let's try this. Oh, well, let's throw this in there. Oh, well, how about this one? And nothing is sticking right now, and it just kind of makes me chuckle. So, we'll start with the Trump tell-all book, Fire and Fury. Meh. Not so much, <laughs> although it is pretty funny. There's this book that is decades old about, um, I think it's about a World War II fighter squadron. I'm not 100% sure because I didn't look at it too closely, but it's an older book called Fire and Fury that came out a long time ago that is now back on the bestseller list because people are buying it by mistake, thinking it's Trump's book. So somebody somewhere or their family is getting some nice royalties some really nice royalties on a book that they probably thought, you know, eh, that's not, we're done with that. It's not going to be a big hit. Now it's a bestseller. So there you go. But anyway, so there's this book, Fire and Fury, by this guy Michael Wolfe, and it's the tell-all book of the Resistance in the U.S. I haven't read it. I have no plans to read it. I love presidential autobiographies? I really do. I love reading first-person accounts of what happened during history and during presidential history. It's just intriguing and fascinating to me. But when it comes to opinion pieces presented as historical fact, I tend to stay away from those, and it appears that that's exactly what Fire and Fury is. What's sad is that many people, we Americans, we don't do the research. We won't watch or listen to the interviews where the author explains that he never actually talked you know, to Mike Pence or any of the president's cabinet or interviewed them for his book. He even said, I think it was last week, he said, or maybe it was earlier this week. Either way, he's on this show, and, uh, and I forget who was interviewing him. I think it was somebody over on CNN, actually. And they were like, so did you interview the president about this? for this book because you quote him often and say that this was interviews that you had and he's like well i don't you know the president probably didn't realize uh that he was being interviewed but we had these conversations and these are the things that he told me so so they were interviewed no no he probably didn't know He probably didn't know that what we were talking about was going to end up in the book. So he probably doesn't realize or remember that he was interviewed. Because it wasn't actually an interview. We were just having conversations. Excuse me. That's not how it works. You don't... Okay. It's not exactly um, journalism on the up and up if you will. It's it's more like a complete lack of journalistic integrity if you walk up to the president. It's this thing of being like on the record, off the record. You're like, hey, tell me about this. Uh-huh, 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 as you're writing down notes and you're like, I'm gonna put that in my book. No. No. This guy, Wolf, he wrote about CPAC but never spoke with any of the CPAC leadership. That's a conservative political action conference that happens every year in Washington, D.C. A great event if you're on the East Coast. You should check it out sometime if you've never been. Really fun if you're a political junkie. If you're not, you'll probably be bored to death. But if you like politics, it's super fun. For me, I loved going. When I lived on the East Coast, that was like the highlight of my year. I'm sure it still would be. I just can't go anymore because of a variety of reasons. But anyway, there are... Oh, I'm sorry, my... My nose is running and I'm trying to catch up with it. There's just a myriad of things like this with his book where he's like, oh, well, actually, I didn't talk to it. Well, I know I quoted them, but did I No, I didn't actually talk? It's just I know. I know that that's what happened. And so I put it in this book and therefore it's um, it's fact. Except that it's not. What this tells us is basically that anyone anywhere can sit down and write whatever they think might have happened in any given situation and pass it off as fact, and someone somewhere will actually publish this stuff without bothering to check and see if, in fact, it is factual. Which is just unreal. And what's even more amusing to me is that hardcore leftists think that they can write this stuff and resistance in this type of way. They will, that they will somehow undermine Trump. Apparently there's like another dozen resistance books planned for this year. In this general vein. Okay, so look. I, I didn't think that it was possible for enough of what might be called conservative voters in this country to look past the plethora plethora of quotes and videos and life history that stands in stark opposition to many conservative values for Trump to win the presidency i'm not i'm not trying to cause a a heart attack for anyone here i'm just saying I didn't think it could happen in the primary. I didn't think that enough conservative voters would be willing to take a chance on a guy whose past didn't really scream traditional conservative values. Okay, that's all I'm saying. I didn't think that could happen. And if Hillary wasn't the alternative, I don't believe that he would have won the presidency even after winning the primary. I didn't think that enough conservatives would be willing to vote for him. At least not to the degree that they did. But now that he is president and doing a pretty good job of governing. Oh, and by the way, all that money I was just talking about a few minutes ago. Like, Trump was always synonymous with money. If you watched The Apprentice, which was actually a pretty good show until it turned weird, um, but like the early, the early, the first few seasons, Like, what was the theme song? Money, money, money! That one! Remember? Trump equals money. That's always been his image. And now he's putting money back in people's pockets, back into companies, back into the U.S. So, you know, if, if... If his life prior to politics was not enough... To keep him from the presidency. Okay? Follow me here. And now that he's president, he's doing a pretty good job of governing. And people have money, more of it, because of the way that he's governing. Look, if people weren't turned off by all the things that he said and did prior to being elected you're not going to convince them that he's no longer worth voting for now that he's actually accomplished many of the things that he said he would by writing a book that is full of inaccurate and unsubstantiated claims and stories. This type of, quote, tell-all expose, unquote, isn't going to have the effect that the left thinks it will. Nor will the other dozen books they apparently plan to release this year. It's not, this isn't, this book, Fire and Fury, and the myriad of others like it, are going to affect exactly zero people in the way they, well, who knows, maybe ten. We'll give them that. But I would argue that Fire and Fury, and any other book they come out with this year, is definitely, it's not even going to make a scratch, let alone a dent In any demographics perception of the president, or say if you know Oprah runs for president now, the only thing that could put a dent in this whole thing for Trump that I see it as I see it right now is uh, is what he does with Dreamers and the wall, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But this 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 let's talk about Oprah for a minute because this is my other not so much moment. Okay, I know there was polling data. I believe it was yesterday was released uh, that showed that Oprah would beat Trump by ten points. Um, I think it was, I think it was twenty four percent of Republicans would vote for Oprah over Trump, and that's how they came up with that number. They surveyed a grand total of one hundred people to come up with this result. And everybody was like, oh, look at this! Look at this! If Oprah runs for president, Trump is done! He's finished! Eh, not so much. Because first of all, everyone's assuming that Oprah running for president, now that she's quote-unquote considering it, will happen in 2020 against Trump. I don't think that Oprah runs in 2020 against Trump because I don't see Oprah running if there is any chance in her mind of losing. And because I think that there is a friendship between Trump and Oprah that might be somewhat uncomfortable particularly for those on the right side of the aisle to recognize, but I think there's more there than anyone would like to talk about. So I don't think that Oprah runs against Trump, because if Oprah runs against Trump, I say there's a good chance she loses. I think she would probably have a better chance than just about anybody else of beating him, but I think there's a decent chance that she doesn't win. That said, if she waits until 2024, then I say her chances of winning are very, 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 very good. In fact, if I was someone who gambled, I would probably put actual real money on Oprah winning in 2024 should she choose to run. And depending on what happens globally between now and then, because that is literally an eternity in politics, and depending on what's happening on the world stage uh the the public may not want an Oprah presidency, um for for a variety of reasons, which I'm just not gonna go into right now. Uh mainly, you know, if 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 there's world war, for example, the public may be less inclined to vote for Oprah than they might otherwise. That's all I'm saying. It's just it's pulling data that people tend to vote for a strong male figure in wartime. It just it just is like it or not. Just, okay. Let's move on. Right now, Oprah is saying she's not running, but the idea is intriguing, and she's open to contemplating it. I liken this to 2011 Trump, who was like, no, I'm not running for president. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whatever. Now he's in the Oval Office. But interestingly enough, that whole Trump-Oprah friendship that I said we probably don't want to talk about because it's just inconvenient truth to many, Oprah was, according to Donald Trump, his first choice for running mate. Did he mean it? I don't know, but he said it. You don't have to believe me, I could play the audio for you, but um. I, 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 in 1999, Trump said that if he ran for president, Oprah Winfrey would be his top pick for vice presidential running mate. In 2015, that's what he told uh, Larry King on Larry King Live. He said, quote, I love Oprah. Oprah would always be my first choice. She's a terrific woman. She's somebody that's very special. If she'd do it, she'd be fantastic. She's popular. She's brilliant. She's a wonderful woman. And Fast forward to 2015. He's on ABC News with George Stephanopoulos who says, would you still pick Oprah Winfrey as your running mate? Now remember, this now is only three years ago, the year uh, prior to the election year. One year prior to election year, he says this. He says, I like Oprah. What can I tell you? She's great. She's talented. She's a friend of mine. She's a good person. I've been on her show. I like Oprah. Is that supposed to be a bad thing? I'd love, I'd love to have Oprah. I think we'd win easily, actually. On Twitter, he says that he adores Winfrey. He's called her terrific. So on and so forth. Oprah even interviewed Trump once upon a time and asked him if he'd ever run for president. That was when he said he wouldn't, but he would have a blank of a chance of winning uh, because um, he would help people make money, which he's doing. All that to say, I think there's a lot of history between Trump and Oprah, which I believe I think there's a friendship there, and I don't think that she'll run against him. I just don't see it. I could be completely off base, and quite honestly, if she wanted to run, they have campaign ad after campaign ad after campaign ad of Trump just saying that she's the most amazing thing ever, and uh, that she would make a great vice president. So if you make a great vice president, then that kind of suggests that you think they'd make a great president as well. So... the (laughs) Yeah, if I'm Oprah, I'm screenshotting all those tweets and gathering all that video and audio together of him just praising her up, down, and everywhere. But another interesting aspect here in this whole thing is that the very election of Trump is what makes Oprah even a remotely viable candidate. Again, you may not like that I say that, but in many ways, Oprah would be a candidate built in Trump's image. Because politics with Trump, it changed and now it is going to keep changing. Trump didn't get elected because of his vast political wisdom or experience. He was an outsider. He campaigned on being an outsider. His 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 hardcore base, that was their main rallying cry. They so needed somebody to drain the swamp. Need somebody from outside DC, need somebody not political. And you say, "Well, that's not Oprah at all because Oprah campaigned for Obama." Yeah, she did. And guess what? Trump campaigned for people and he had the Clintons at his wedding. So, I'm just saying, okay? Generally speaking, they're 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 kind of the same person but from alternate universes, if you will. I mean, if Trump's always been America's sort of crazy but brilliant uncle, Oprah's been America's fake, sweet, but beloved, benevolent aunt. I wouldn't necessarily say beloved. They're both rich. They've both got name recognition. And aside from power, neither really has anything to gain from being president of the United States. I'm telling you, if you take the time to think about it, Oprah is the Democrats' Trump. It's just there. I thought it would be George Clooney, and maybe it still will. But Clooney has been very politically active for as long as I can remember. Oprah, yeah, kind of. But when most people think Oprah, they don't think politics. They think, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. That's what they think about Oprah. Just like with Trump, everybody thought, oh yeah, the money guy, the guy with the money. Trump wasn't synonymous with politics, neither is Oprah. I, I see them as very much the same genre of candidate, if you will. The thing with Oprah is when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, we don't really know a whole lot of what she believes. So we'll have to see what happens there. But again, I, I think that you could liken that to... very much to candidate Trump. We really didn't know a whole lot about him or what he believed because we had no record to go off of. And with Oprah, again, we have no record. So, as this conversation progresses... And moves forward. This is what conservatives have to figure out: what anti-Oprah arguments? Ar- oh, I can't talk. What anti-Oprah arguments can you make that can't also be applied to then-candidate Trump? Oprah has no experience. Neither did Trump. Oprah is too polarizing a figure. Please, we don't need a celebrity politician. Who do you think is in the White House right now? Well, we at least need a successful business person. Do you have any idea what Oprah is worth and how she built her brand? Like, they're, I'm telling you, they're so similar, it's kind of scary. You may not want to go down that train of thought, but I'm telling you, if there's any possibility that she's going to run, we better start coming up with some policy-related answers and get back to the core foundations of understanding why we believe what we believe and how that affects our governing because it can't be about personality or outsiders or business or anything like that if it's an Oprah Trump debate. And I actually I think it could be really good for us because it's something we've shied away from now for far too long is the basics. The principles. What truly differentiates us? And it'll be interesting to watch that happen or not watch it happen. We'll see. Maybe principles no longer matter and it really is just all a big celebrity competition. Maybe we're just watching the celebrity uh, the celebrity president show from now on. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Time will tell. Time will tell. Alright, do I want to talk about the wall, or do I want to take a break? We're going to take a break. When we get back in just a minute, we'll go into my next, meh, nah, not so much. I've got a few more here having to do with ISIS, uh, global warming, the wall, meh, nah, nah. we'll, t- we'll talk about those in just a few minutes. Don't go away. Coming up, let's go with uh, Jimmy Needham. Clear the stage. We'll be back in just a few minutes. <phone rings> Crystal, what do you do during these breaks? It's very simple. I drink water and clear my throat and attempt to get ready for the next segment. I pull up links that I need that we're going to talk about. And then, if I still have time left, I look at pictures of my dog. There is actually a reason. It's not just because I think she's cute. Did you know that if you have a dog... And you and your dog look in each other's eyes it releases happy endorphins. Obviously, my dog is getting no benefit from me looking at pictures of her. But, looking at pictures of my dog actually makes me happier so that when I come back on the air with you, it's just nicer for you. It's really, I'm really, I look at pictures of my dog for your sake. <laughs> Alright, that is actually true. Completely factual, what I just told you right there. Pretty much all of my show is the same way. But, um, okay. As we continue with our, meh, not so much Thursday. You've probably seen it. Everybody's freaking out. I have seen the most hardcore Trump supporters take to the social media to let the president know that if he doesn't build the wall, they are walking. They are done. They are out. It is over. Finished. (laughs) This cracks me up. Because one, you're just falling right into what the media wants you to think, and two, if you really thought, if you really thought that the president was going to be able to erect some 500-foot steel barricade across the entire southern border, and that that was the definition of his wall, I'm sorry, but I probably could find some swampland in Florida that I could sell you. Like, that was never what it was supposed to be, it's just not even feasible. It's not realistic. Like, what are you, are you going to put a wall around the beach and floor? Like, you're not ever going to have a wall across the entire southern border. But there are portions of the southern border that desperately need a barrier of some kind and that is a wall that we have always needed and that the president has always advocated now granted did some of his more grandiose speeches give the implication that he would er- create the biggest most beautifulest wall the world has ever seen yes but again if you were thinking that that was realistic um i'm sorry it never was so <laughs> no need no need to abandon your your hero um if there's not a five thousand foot biggest, beautifulest, bestest wall the world has ever known across the entire southern border of the United States. And I don't think that will that people will bend him for that. But if he doesn't take care of DACA in the correct fashion, that's where that is the cinch in the armor, if you will. If the president wavers on this one, he will have, I think, problems, big problems with his base, and that is where he becomes super vulnerable for 2020. But in an absolutely brilliant move, the president opened up the discussions that he had with members of Congress from both sides of the aisle to the media so that they could see the discussions about DACA and the wall and what we're going to do about this absolutely brilliant move now nobody in the media can walk away with a soundbite nobody can take something twist it completely out of context and not have and it just make it a he says she said we don't really know which side do you believe that can't happen because every outlet was there for the entire thing. So, so you're reporting it right or you're not reporting it at all because it is 100% obvious exactly what went down because everyone saw it. And there is nothing that the media and reporters like more than to be right there to get the story live and in person. And it, it was incredible to see the swap, the switch from media in this country that has absolutely decried and loathed, even if you will, the president in many cases, go from the president is the worst person ever to, oh my goodness, look at Trump the genius, allowing the media in, we love him. Tweet after tweet. is like Twitter, 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 Twitter. All the media people. Rick Klein. I can never remember seeing a president convene a discussion of an issue with this many congressional voices and this many viewpoints being discussed publicly. Pretty remarkable day at the White House. Paul Singer. I have covered Washington politics for two decades. I have never, all caps, seen the president invite the press into film negotiations with Congress. Steve Peoples, Trump smart for opening immigration discussion to press. Public gets to see deal making POTUS at his best. Sam Stein, that was great, at real Donald Trump. You should do it again in the future. Martha McCollum, breaking brilliant move by POTUS. In the middle of the Wolf onslaught, he allows live coverage of him working the table with Dems GOP on immigration. Thoughtful, policy proficient, and determined to get a deal. Betsy Klein, Wolf Blitzer gives credit to the White House for opening the bipartisan immigration meeting up to cameras. Quote, I don't remember when a White House has allowed TV cameras in such a meeting. And it goes on and on and on and on quote after quote after quote of media people being like okay yeah that was pretty cool. That was that was that was a that was that was pretty good. That was I, I like that The meeting itself was uh was interesting to watch, too as the president promised that he would sign what he called a, quote, bill of love, unquote, to extend protection to 800,000 immigrants who entered the United States illegally as children, uh, if, if Congress can work out the details. He said to members of Congress that were there, he said, you folks are going to have to come up with a solution, and if you do, I'm going to sign that solution. Now, he made it pretty clear in the meeting that funding for the, the wall needs to be in the legislation in order for him to sign it. Again, everybody could see this happen, right? Everybody saw, everybody reported, that the president said, you need to have funding for the wall in the bill for me to sign it. (laughs) Fast forward, how many days? I think this was on the 9th that they had this meeting, so Tuesday. So fast forward two days, or one day even, yesterday. And somehow, after seeing, we all saw it. The media, the public, everybody, we we all saw it. The president's like, you will have funding for the wall in the bill, or I'm not going to sign it. Okay, guys? All right. 24 hours later oh my goodness oh my goodness he said he said that he'll he said he doesn't i'm out how did we i don't know what it i can't understand i don't get it i don't understand guys like we we literally watched it happen right and a day later you have Trump's most hardcore people that are all like that's it we're done we are finished because there's no funding for the wall. He just said if there's no funding for the wall he's not going to sign it. Now unless you think he's lying, which maybe he is. But did, what what makes you think that's going to happen? Like that that was his number 1 campaign promise was that he would build the biggest most beautiful wall the world has ever seen right <laughs> and now you think now you think after he just brought the media in and said to all the world if there's no wall money there's no DACA that now he's not going to do that I don't know like I'm not the president's biggest fan but really you guys Maybe we should just see what actually happens before everybody starts freaking out. I I I know, it's a crazy thought. It's a it's a crazy thought. Maybe we should just, you know, read the actual facts. Like let's see what the bill actually says. It's this fun thing that, you know, lawmakers are supposed to do and we the people should be doing more often is read the legislation that our congresspeople are voting on and the president is signing that's a thing that we should be doing and you know what once we have that then we'll read it then we'll find out this isn't going to be one of those oh we have to we have to pass it and it has to be law and then we'll find out what's in it no 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 no. that's not happening again once we have the legislation then we'll look at it and then we can say oh um time out guys guess what you forgot to put funding for the wall in here and if you don't put it in there, then Mr. President you better not sign it. Okay? That's the point where everybody can start calling the White House and writing letters and stuff. The, the <laughs> I uh, that's that's all. I'm just I'm going to stop there because that's I I I just I can't. I don't know how we I don't I don't know what it is with social media especially in this country where we just take a a snippet of a soundbite or we read a clickbait headline and we base everything we think about the day's events on the headline without actually reading the article and then we just we just it, it's like it's like setting a lighter to a to to dynamite it just it's mind-boggling to me. Like, if all you're doing is skimming through, and that's how you're, you're making your opinions and formulating your news, you're going to have faulty information. Because you need more than that. You need more than a clickbait headline if you want to understand what's actually going on. And when I say clickbait headline, this is what I mean by that. If you're listening and you're like, what on earth is she talking about? Here's what happens. There are people that are paid to write articles for online news sources. I used to be one of these people. I used to write for one of the largest conservative websites out there. Actually, I've written for quite a few of them. Well, it depends on your definition of quite a few. I've written for several. We'll just put it that way. okay? One of the main things that editors require is that your headline is intriguing enough, even if not entirely accurate. But you want a headline that makes you go, wait, what? And then they click on it. So that's called clickbait. They're baiting you into clicking on the story. Because every click is worth money to that organization. The more clicks they get, the more sponsors they can get, the more advertising they can get, and the more data they can collect. Every click is worth money. That's why headlines are written the way headlines are written. It's not newsies anymore running around embellishing the headline to get you to buy the paper. But think about that concept just with an online spin on it. Clickbait is the, is the Newsies heralding of today, if you will. That's what clickbait is. So look beyond the clickbait. Read articles from both sides of the aisle. It will help you get a balanced perspective and understand a clear picture of what's actually happening in news and politics and culture and so on and so forth. I can't believe what time it is right now because I had so much more to talk about today. <sighs> Alas... We shall have to save it for next week. What we will talk about next week, a couple of the things, because I'm sure there will be more by then. But what I didn't get to today that I wanted to cover, now it'll be next week, is uh, we need to talk about ISIS. Because we don't hear a lot about them anymore. And uh, the president, our military, our allies have done a fantastic job of defeating ISIS in Iraq and in Syria. The caliphate is done. But ISIS has not gone away not not at all it's just that we're not hearing about it because the caliphate has ended we're not seeing the mass executions the beheadings, the drownings the burnings like we were before and that is credit due to our military, to our president they, they've done an absolutely just, just phenomenal work in ending the caliphate but ISIS is still around So we need to talk about that. We're also going to talk about this whole global warming thing. Because it snowed in the Sahara Desert, 16 inches. Wait, was it 16 inches? I think it was 16 inches. I feel like I read that somewhere. Uh, Anyway, we're going to talk about it next week. No, a couple inches, not 16 inches. I don't know why. I don't know why that number is written down here. But there was some inches of snow in the Sahara Desert. So we need to talk about global warming. That was my last, meh, not so much topic for today. But I don't have time to get into all the reasons why climate change is natural and not man-made. Sure, are we affecting the environment? Um, Yeah. But man-made carbon dioxide emissions throughout all of human history constitute less than 0.00022% of the total naturally emitted uh, emissions from the Earth during recorded geological history. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why climate change is, is, is natural. And why we don't need to panic if it snows in the Sahara. Or if one of the polar bears' icebergs melts a little bit. Since the icebergs are in fact growing. But, again, no time, no time. I'm out of time. Just more reasons for you to listen next week. When we come back for another Frittle Show. I am Crystal Heath. You're listening to the Frittle Show on 101.1 FM. Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. If you're here in Vegas, join us for church on Sunday. Our address is 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. We're catty corner from the Best Buy on Rainbow and Lake Mead. Our service times are 930 and 1115 Sunday morning and 6 p.m. Sunday evening. If you can't be here in person, you can join us online just go to our website experienceliberty.com you can watch a live stream of our service there or if you go like us on facebook you can watch us on facebook live as well tomorrow is friday which means that i will be giving things away write down our phone number it's 702-779-3394 if you have questions concerns comments things you'd like me to talk about on this program you can give me a call at that number And you'll need it for tomorrow because we will have some trivia questions for you. Some prizes for those who get those answers correct. And, so, have to leave you with a fun fact for today, right? So let me do that. Did you know that there is a president who was born in 1790? His name is John Tyler. John Tyler was America's 10th president. Again, born in 1790. John Tyler, let me say this one more time, America's 10th president was born in 1790. He has two living grandchildren. Not great-grandchildren, not great-great-grandchildren. Two living grandchildren. John Tyler, president of... Of the United States, born in 1790, has two living grandchildren. He was 63 when his son Lyon was born in 1853. Lyon was 71 when Lyon Jr. was born in 1924, and he was 75 when his son Harrison was born in 1928. Lyon Jr. and Harrison, both grandsons of President John Tyler, who was born in 1790, are still alive. Here's another way to think about this. There are people who could look at you today in 2018 and say, Yeah, my dad was eight years old when the war started. World War Two? Nope. Oh, wow. The World War I? No. The Civil War. is that crazy? There are people alive today. Grandsons of President John Tyler. Their dad was eight years old when the Civil War started. People alive today whose parent was eight years old when the Civil War started. Absolutely incredible. That's your fun fact for the day. John Tyler, America's tenth president, born in 1790, has two living grandchildren. Lyon Jr. and Harrison Tyler. Now you know that's some that's some fun trivia for you. Cause I read that and my mind was just like <laughs> and that's all the time we have left for today thanks for listening hope you and your family have a blessed day hope to see you at church on sunday we're going to end with it is well with my soul and we'll see you back here tomorrow have a great day everyone